If I can invite you to stand for this morning's scripture reading, which comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning and happy Easter. It's good to be here with you all this morning. This season of Lent, we've been looking at different individuals from the Bible who have experienced the amazing grace of God. And so this morning, we're going to be taking some time to look at the story of Mary Magdalene and to see the amazing grace of God that she has received in her life in immeasurable ways. I want to take you to the first Easter morning, and I want to invite you to think about it because it was not a morning like ours. The first Easter morning was not a morning of great excitement, if you think about it. Instead, it wasn't an Easter morning at all. It was a morning of mourning and of lament. As followers of Jesus woke up and thought about the events of the past few days, and as they did so, they did not realize that the light of Easter was soon to dawn on them. Among those who remained in Jerusalem after the crucifixion of Jesus was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had stood at the foot of the cross of Jesus and witnessed him hanging on the cross. She stood there with John, the disciple that Jesus loved, as well as Mary, Jesus' mother, as well as, depending on the gospel, a couple of other women were also there. But we know that Mary was there along with the mother of Jesus and John. And they stood and they watched as Jesus drew his last breath as he gave up his spirit. 
But then they also would have been one of the ones who watched the soldiers pierce Jesus' side, and then also Joseph of Arimathea, after having received permission from Pilate to have the body of Jesus, removing Jesus' body from the cross, and then I'm sure she is one of the ones that followed Joseph and whoever helped him carry the body of Jesus to the tomb where he had been laid before the Sabbath began. Mary Magdalene's story is a great story of grace, if you think about it. Because at the beginning of her story, we see a woman who was lost before she experienced the amazing grace of God. If you look her up, I'll be honest, there's a lot more tradition around her than there is scriptural support for that tradition. For examples, for centuries, she has been named as as the prostitute who uh, poured the the perfume on the feet of Jesus. And uh, that was... a a teaching that was taught by Pope Gregory the Great in 591 A.D., but it's really not scriptural. A more recent tradition might be the Da Vinci Code that said that Mary Magdalene was the secret wife of Jesus. Again, I don't find that in the Bible. Maybe someone does. Uh, While the book's a good read, it's not biblical. So I want to talk this morning about a couple of things that we can know for sure about Mary Magdalene. And those are things that we receive from the Gospels. The first thing that I know we can get about her comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And it's Mary Magdalene who's listed as part of the larger group who travels with Jesus and who also was one of the women who financially supported his ministry. Luke writes this, The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, All right, there's her sentence in the Gospel of Luke. And Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. So Luke lists 12 disciples that follow Jesus. He lists three women by name. And this is what it tells us. The first is that Luke tells us where Mary is from. If you look on the screen, check it out, I got a laser pointer. Thanks, Ron. Right there, Magdala. Choir, close your eyes. Um, So Magdala is actually a community where when Luke says Mary from Magdala, it's biblical. Just like they would have said that Simon Peter's mom lived in Capernaum, which is farther up north. Just as well as other times like Judas, they refer to him being an Idumean, which means that he comes from the, the country south of Judea south of Jerusalem, and so Luke tells us he wants us to know that Mary is someone who's real and that there's something important about her because Luke's giving us so much information about her. I mean, where she's from. So you can see Magdala. It's a small fishing village right there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's located in the northern part of Israel, and so it would be in the region around Capernaum and Tagva and all these other places where Jesus conducted much of his ministry. The other thing that is kind of interesting is Magdala is a new excavation. It was only discovered in 2009. So if you go to Israel today, this is a a live archaeological site. They're constantly finding things. Um, You know, there's a a first century or or early synagogue that is one of seven in Israel that's that old, that, that is that intact. And there's a bunch of other stuff. I mean, it's on my list of if and when I ever go back to Israel, I'm going to Magdala. But uh, it's one of the hot spots in Israel today, and and they estimate they've only excavated like 10% of it. So it's pretty interesting. All right, so Luke tells us that, that Mary's from Magdala. He also tells us that Mary called Magdalene, 
had been cured by Jesus of having been cleansed of having seven demons. That's it. None of the other gospel writers tell us about how she was cleansed, unlike some of the other healings or exorcisms or, or times where Jesus freed people from, from the demonic. There's nothing about Mary being freed except Luke saying she had seven demons, Jesus had healed her, now she's a follower of him. She was freed. She'd received the grace and freedom from Jesus that no one else had been able to give her. And we know how she reacted to the amazing grace and light of God that burst into her life. And it wasn't by the words of the Gospels, but it was by her actions, right? By the way she changed her life. By the way she chose to follow Jesus. By even being included in Luke's gospel as one of the ones who are A, a female, but two are specifically listed as one of the ones who supported the ministry of Jesus financially. And so on Easter morning, Mary Magdalene journeyed to the tomb of Jesus. She's been freed of her past demons, but she's weighed down by the darkness of Christ's death. She's in mourning as she walks to the tomb to spend time in her grief to the place where her Messiah lay. Unlike some of the other Gospels, Mary doesn't have stuff to anoint the body of Jesus. John tells us that Mary is going simply in her grief to visit the tomb of Jesus. And so unlike our approaching Easter, because for us it's a countdown, it's a time of anticipation, her walk to the tomb is opposite that, isn't it? Because she didn't expect to experience anything beyond the grief that she was already feeling as she went to the tomb. Maybe in hope she wondered if the words that Jesus had said about coming back after the third day would come true. But to her surprise as she approached the tomb she saw that the stone had been rolled away. The door to the tomb that was supposed to protect the body of Jesus was no longer there. So John tells us this, Mary Magdalene doesn't even go any farther. She turns back on the path and she goes to tell Simon Peter and the other disciples what she had discovered. All right, I have to be honest with you. As I read John's gospel, I go back and forth on Mary's emotion at this point. Initially, I want to think that she's running in excitement to tell Simon Peter what's happened. I want to think that that she is seeing this as a time where Jesus is teaching, where he had said the Son of Man would be lifted up, he would die, and then he would rise on the third day. I have to believe, or I want to believe, that she was seeing that that was coming true. But I think for her, it was the opposite. Because I have to think that she was carrying a message of sadness and of frustration. And so as she goes to tell Simon Peter that the body of Jesus had been carried away, this is not the first message of Easter, is it? It's not the first message of the resurrection. Because what does she say to him? They've taken my Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. There's not a lot of hope in that phrase, is there? Where have they taken Jesus? Where have they placed him? What have they done with the body? Surely these questions are are racing through her head and now Simon Peter's head and the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was John, as they run the distance to the tomb. John writes this, that, that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, reached the tomb first. He peers into the darkness. His and his eyes adjust. He's able to see the linen wrappings that are there on the shelf, but he doesn't see a body. 
Peter arrives shortly thereafter, because Peter apparently was slower and a little more out of shape. Um, And he sees what the other disciple had sees, but Peter is Peter. And in everything we've seen about Peter, he doesn't mess around, he doesn't wait, he doesn't pause, and so he just blows into the tomb. I mean, if this was an Indiana Jones movie, Peter would have found the booby trap. Right? Yeah. So Peter's in the tomb. And he notices that he sees exactly what the other disciple has seen. He also notices that the linen cloths that had wrapped Jesus' body are just tossed aside, but the cloth that has wrapped his head has been rolled up or folded neatly and is laying where his head used to lay. What grave robber would have rolled the cloth up? Who would have taken the time to do that if they were hurriedly trying to make off with the body of Jesus? The disciples didn't understand either. They weren't thinking resurrection as they left, as they took this new discovery back into the walls of Jerusalem and to the home where they were staying with the other twelve. Mary Magdalene stayed there at the tomb. She remained there to do what she had planned to do. She remained there to mourn Jesus, to spend time in prayer, to do the things that we all know you do when you're in grief. But from behind her tears, she looked into the tomb and saw two angels sitting where the body of Jesus had been, and they asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she answered by telling them that the one who had shown her amazing grace was no longer present in the tomb. They've taken my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. That's the same phrase she told Peter, right? And as Mary turns from the tomb and the angels, she encounters another stranger coming to her. John doesn't give us another description. In fact, Mary assumes, I like this painting, I don't even know who this artist is, but um, that, that it's a gardener coming towards Jesus because the scripture tells us that Mary assumes that it's the gardener approaching her. And so in the darkness or in the, the early morning light, she asks him, as she hears him say, Woman, why are you weeping? For what are you looking? And so her response to that question is not an Easter response. It's still a response that is mourning when she says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary's still operating under the belief that the body of Jesus is lost to her. She cannot fathom the idea that he is resurrected. For her, this Easter morning is still an Easter of mourning. It's not an Easter of joy. However, that all changes when Jesus, the stranger, speaks his name, her name. And so he says, Mary. He says, Mary. She's already experienced the amazing grace of Jesus in her life. She's already been healed of seven demons. She's already witnessed so many things. She's already seen miracles performed or individuals healed. She's heard the parables. She's heard the sermons. She was part of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. And now the voice that she hears is the voice that she knows so well, speaking her name. And Jesus himself has drawn her from darkness of grief, pain, and mourning into the joy of Easter by saying her name and i think it's interesting that the voice of jesus if we look at it also draws mary's attention because before she hears or sees her before she hears the gardener or hears her name what's mary focused on she's focused on the empty tomb where the body should have been 
But see, friends, the voice of Jesus draws our eyes from things of death and brings our eyes to things of life. Because the voice of Jesus draws us just as it draws her back from the tomb into life. And so when Mary heard the voice, when she heard Jesus say, Mary, he drew her from the darkness of the tomb and he brought her into the grace and the life that God offered her. And this is the same voice that calls us. This is the same thing that God does for us. He calls you by name. He knows you. He knows your shortcomings. He knows your action. He knows your inaction. He knows your inmost thoughts. He knows you better than you can ever possibly know yourself. And even knowing all that about you, He still calls you by the name in the way that He called Mary. And as He does so, He calls us to change our focus from the empty tomb to the resurrected Christ. To change our focus from the physical things of this earth, rather to focus on the eternal promises that He offers. He calls us to focus on Him as you turn from the empty tomb and to focus on the resurrected Jesus. Friends, He calls us to focus on life. And by doing that, He calls you by name. By name so that you can experience the life that He offers through His resurrection by name so that you can be equipped by the Holy Spirit. He calls you by name so that you can carry His message to others. A message of hope, a message of life, a message of resurrection, a message of Easter. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen.